Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, folks, after today, two more Sundays. Next Sunday, 2nd, 3rd John, the following Sunday, Revelation, and then you're going to know everything there is to know about the Bible. (laughs) We've been reading through the Bible a year from last September, or a year ago September, we started reading through it. I hope it's been a good journey for you, and we've tried to preach one one passage out of each book, or a couple times they were combined, we had to pick, but today we're going to look in 1 John And of course, John is the disciple, he described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, Very close to Jesus, wrote the gospel of John, and then these three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John is an old man by now when he's writing this letter. He's probably in his 90s. And now he's speaking to 2nd and 3rd generation Christians some of these, none of these folks had ever seen Jesus. He's one of the last living ones who actually had contact with Jesus. And by now, Satan has infiltrated the church with some heresy. The Gnostics were beginning to say all kinds of weird stuff. Some of them said Jesus was not human. Some of them said Jesus was not divine. And then some of them believed that you had to have this secret knowledge in order to know God. You had to be on the inside. And the word Gnostics comes from the word knowledge. And they said you had to have secret knowledge. And so John writes this letter to these second and third generation Christians telling them, listen, there's nothing secret about this. Jesus came to save the world. And then he also said, if you want to know that you're a believer, in fact, in chapter 5, he writes, these things have I written unto you that you may know you have eternal life. Well, how do you know if you've got eternal life? It'd be nice if God put a badge or a mark on us and said, yep, you're saved. There's the mark right there, but it's not there. So how do you know? John says three things will happen in your life. He said, first of all, you're not going to live a life that's characterized by sin. You're not going to live in rebellion all the time. Second thing, you're going to love the Word of God. You're going to love the Scripture. You have a hunger for it. You want to know more about it. The third thing is, you're going to love the people of God. You want to be with God's people. You want to be with the church. You want to be assembled with other believers. And he said, those three things are proof. And he wrote in chapter 5, these things I've written unto you, that you may know that you have eternal life. Today I want to read out of chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. But first, before I read that, let me call your attention back in chapter 1, in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I guess when you're in your 90s, you can call these new believers little children. Really, it's a term of endearment. It's not... uh, uh, looking down on them. He's saying, you're new believers. My my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself, 
is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. When you're a born again believer, you live daily for Christ. It's interesting though that some people, especially when they're in the presence of Christian leaders of some kind, whether it be a pastor or a teacher or someone that they know is a Christian leader, when they're in their presence, they try to put on a spiritual front. You ever notice that? They start speaking differently. One little boy had spent a day down at the creek. He came in. He was filthy dirty, but grinning from ear to ear and had the biggest dead rat you've ever seen in his hand. He came in and he said, Dad, you should have seen it. I took a rock and I smashed him and there was blood everywhere. And he noticed the pastor was sitting on the couch. And he looked and he said, and then he went to be with the Lord. Holiness, living a life of holiness, is not just the outside. It's not what you do outwardly. It's going to show outwardly. But you can do a lot of outward things and still not have a life of holiness, a life that is committed to the Lord. I want you to think for a moment about two words, sin and sins, plural. Sin. We came into the world with a sin problem. Your sin separated you from God. Nobody had to teach you to sin. We were, in a, we, we were born in a depraved humanity. And we had a sin problem. And Jesus Christ came and took care of that sin problem. John the Baptist, even when he saw Jesus, said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so he solved the sin problem. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you commit your life to Christ and you follow him as your Savior and you are born again spiritually. But then you find out that you're not perfect. Now you've been forgiven of sin. Your relationship with God is secure, but you're not perfect. And John is writing to some believers here who really thought that when they came to follow Jesus, they wouldn't sin anymore. Occasionally, you'll hear some super pious Christian say, well, I, I'm, I've reached perfection. Well, that ought to tell you right there that they haven't. Because the only perfect human was Jesus Christ, is Jesus Christ. And so John is an old man writing to Christians who were confused because they, they came to know Christ and then they realized they still sinned. Well, I want you to think of two other words, relationship and fellowship. Your relationship with God doesn't change because it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. He, you are forgiven of all the sin you're ever going to commit as far as your relationship with God. You've been given the righteousness of Jesus. You're going to go to be, you're going to heaven. You're going to be with the Father. But then you have the word relationship, but then there's the word fellowship. Our fellowship has a dynamic with God. In a relationship of marriage, you get married at the altar, and then through the years, there are periods when the fellowship may be strained. 
Y'all got that. You disagreed with one another. In case you don't know what strained means. And so what, is, what does a person have to do usually, or not both of them, they confess their wrongs and seek forgiveness and the fellowship is restored. They never lost the relationship. The same is true in our Christian life. And so John is writing to a group of people who've been confused and Satan's infiltrated the church trying to confuse them on this situation. And so it it looks like a dilemma. I've I've got this dilemma of sin and yet I want to live a life that's pleasing to God. A holy life, holy meaning walking in fellowship with God, not that I'm better than anyone else. So the first thing you see John mention is is an appeal to sinlessness. My little children, he knows that, that they, some of them are taking sin very seriously. They're also aware that there are days they go through that they don't hit God's bullseye. Chances are this week there was a day when you didn't hit God's bullseye. You weren't everything God wanted you to be. Maybe you didn't think or speak or whatever and act like God wanted you to be. And it seems like we're whipped before we start. We're saved, but we still are sinners. C.S. Lewis was asked one time why so many Christians seemed less than perfect. And here's what he said. You should have seen them before they became Christians. (laughs) And that's true for all of us. We're growing in the Lord. And, and, And today, people don't like to talk about sin. We don't want to call it that. Let's call it a weakness or a frailty or a mistake or an accident. But the fact is, we're all sinners. One couple was visiting a church, and they'd never been in this church before, and about the time they walked in, the congregation was reciting part of a prayer of confession, and the congregation was saying, we have left undone those things that we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and the man nudged his wife and said, for once, we're definitely in the right crowd. (laughs) All of us in here are sinners. We know that. But holiness is not an optional accessory that you put on your Christian walk later on if you choose to. God said, be holy as I am holy. And every blood-bought child of God desires to please the Lord. We want to walk in fellowship with God. Well, Satan infiltrated the church in two ways. First, he said, well... If you're going to be holy, then you've got to do this and do this and don't do this and do this and do, don't do, yeah, do legalism. And folks, we're all there. We've all had our spouts of legalism. I am a recovering Pharisee. <laughs> really? And the reason we did that is because we want to be able to mark our progress. You know, it'd be nice if I could just, I could just see, hey, I'm making progress. So if I don't do this and I don't do this and I do this and I don't, then it looks like I'm making progress. But, but that's not an indication of holiness. That's not an indication of, of living with the Lord and in fellowship with him. It, a lot of people are legalists. Flip side of that, it's the same coin, but it's the flip side of it. Satan whispers in the ear and says, well, listen, since God is a God of grace, you're, you're way too concerned about sin. God's forgiven you. God's, God's grace covers it. Just go live like you want to. It doesn't matter. You're saved. doesn't matter. 
The problem with both of those is that it's all human effort. And our salvation is not based on anything that you and I have done. It's based all on what Jesus Christ has done by, by dying for our sins. And John is combating this erroneous teaching. He said, well, we have fellowship with God. But in verse 6 of chapter 1, he said, they say they have fellowship with God, but they walk in darkness. And in verse 7, he said, but we walk in the light as he is in the light. And then he says, if you say you have no sin, you're making God a liar. And so there seems to be this dilemma here. Today, people think God is not very serious about sin. God is a God of love, and he loves us. But don't think for a moment he's changed any attitude or thinking about sin. Just because we live in the 21st century doesn't mean that sin is not sin anymore. We're, we're, I'm amazed at how people think God doesn't see things. Like the little boy who took cookies without his mother's permission and his mother caught him. He said, son, don't you know that God saw you take those cookies? And he said, yeah, but he didn't see me eat them. I ate them under the table. <laughs> people don't take sin seriously. And I'm not trying to make you paranoid, and, and, but I want you to understand that sin is still serious. Sin will take you further than you ever intended to stay. And it'll keep you longer, or sin will take you further than you ever intended to stray. It'll keep you longer than you ever intended to stay, and it will cost you more than you ever dreamed you would pay. Sin is serious. We take it lightly. Oh, it's no big deal to God anymore. I know what he says about different things in the word. I know what he says about our lives. I know what he says about this and that. He doesn't take it seriously. But he does. So, what happens when a Christian sins? Well, you get convicted for one thing. Holy Spirit is going to convict you of your sin. The difference between a lost person sinning and a Christian sinning is a lost person doesn't see anything wrong with what's going on. And then sin just draws them and they just keep going further and further. But a believer, a person who's been born again, saved, Holy Spirit lives in them, they may sin, but immediately it doesn't seem to be as fun as it used to be. And the Holy Spirit says, that's not what God wants you to do. That's not where he wants you to be. And that's why you're miserable. That's why it, you're convicted of sin and there's nothing fun about conviction. What's amazing to me is how many people stay out of church because they don't think they'll be convicted. <laughs> Try to run from the Holy Spirit. You can't run from yourself. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You can't do it. So what happens when a Christian sins? John says, we have an advocate for sinners. Now folks, because Christians aren't perfect, God has provided the help they need for daily life as they try to live for him. The word translated advocate, parakletos, it's the same word that Jesus used at the Last Supper talking to the disciples when he said the parakletos will come, the comforter will come. The word means to come alongside a person. Many times it was used as defender or supporter. Even today in England, it's used for a 
defense attorney. Somebody who's going to stand for you. Now, do you realize you're being accused all the time? Listen to Revelation 12.10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. Who's the accuser? Satan. And one of the days he's going to be cast into the lake of fire. But he's the accuser. Satan stands before God as the constant accuser of the brethren, you and me. Look at the book of Job. You see him going before God and complaining about Job. The only reason Job follows you is because you've blessed him. Well, Satan is engaged in a war against believers. Every believer was originally born in Satan's kingdom. You were a captive of sin. You were in Satan's domain, and Jesus redeemed you. He bought you. He rescued you. He set you free. And seeking to enslave the believer again, he can come before God and he may use the words of Ezekiel 18.4, the soul that sins, it shall die. Or Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he might even have the audacity to say to God, look what David Wilson did. Give him back to me. He's a sinner. He's still a sinner. Give him back to me. But then... Jesus stands up. And John mentions three things about him as our advocate. This is good stuff. I want to amen every now and then. (laughs) Or don't give it to me, give it to the Lord. First of all, he is a present advocate. Present tense means continuously. We have an advocate right now. Today, you have one. Right now, Jesus is there for our defense. And when we fail, the devil runs to accuse us. He meets our advocate all the time, Jesus Christ. What's interesting is that Jesus, being our defense attorney, he knows all the details. And let me tell you something even more amazing. Years, several years ago in Cincinnati, a Cincinnati lawyer was assigned to a person who had been accused of burglary. So this attorney goes to the jail to meet with this person who's accused that he's been assigned to defend. And when, he, and when the attorney walks out of the jail, he goes and says, I, I can't defend this guy because he's being accused of burglary Our office was the one that was burglarized. (laughs) And so they determined, yes, justice would not be served if the victim was assigned to defend somebody who had been the one that caused the problem to the victim. But that's exactly what Jesus does for us. I mean, we're the ones that he died for. We're the ones that put him on the cross. Our sin put him on the cross. And now Jesus is standing up defending us. And what's amazing, he knows all the details of our case, doesn't he? (laughs) He knows all our sin. But he's present. He's now. He's your defender now. 
The second thing, he is a positioned advocate. He is with who? The Father. He is with the Father. The same word with is used in John 1.1. The word was with God and the word was God. It means that Jesus is always before the Father. Obviously, he's the second person of the Godhead, but when Satan accuses us and charges us as guilty before God, Jesus Christ stands up and he doesn't walk up there and say they're not guilty because that wouldn't be true. We've sinned. He enters the plea guilty, but then he says, but they've been pardoned. The price has been paid. I paid it all. It's another way of stating this. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's always interceding for us before the accuser. That's who Jesus is. John Calvin in his, in his commentary said, the intercession of Christ is a continual application of his death for our salvation. He's continually applying what he did on the cross before God. Now, it's worth noting, it doesn't say he stands before the judge. Now, I want you to get this. This is a little deep. Put on some boots and listen with me. He didn't say Jesus Christ is standing before the judge. He's standing, he's standing before the Father. Because I want you to understand that God loved us enough to save us. Jesus isn't holding an angry God off of us. He's our Father. He, ad he adopted us into his kingdom through Jesus Christ when we were saved. He, he, we, he's... We're a child of God. You're a son and a daughter of God. In fact, Romans 3.23, Paul puts it this way. God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, God's grace doesn't mean that he has set aside his own righteousness, not demanding that the penalty be paid. Rather, his righteous demand was fully satisfied by the death of his son. It's been paid. And if we trusted in him, our sins are paid in full. God is our father. But Jesus is present. He's here. He's our constant advocate. He's positioned with the father. And he's also the perfect advocate. It says that Jesus Christ, the righteous. And, and I want you to notice something here. Those two names are significant. Jesus is his earthly name, his human name. And so that makes him the human savior. In the first place, we needed a human to save us. If humanity has sinned and the wages of sin is death, somebody has to die. And Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. We're getting ready to celebrate when God became man. That's what Christmas, when we celebrate Christmas, even though it probably didn't happen in December, I get it. Don't write me any emails. I always get stuff, yeah, you know, Christmas didn't really, you know, uh, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. I'd call it what you want. I don't care. 
You know, can I just vent for a second? Why is there always somebody that's just always mad? I mean, they're going to read into every last thing we do. And folks, life is too short. Be mad all the time. I don't care when Jesus was born, what day it was. I'm just glad he came. We can celebrate any other time. Aren't you? I don't know all the background, all the pagan stuff. I've, heard, I've read a lot of that or heard a lot of it. But, but see, Jesus came, became one of us, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He didn't have an earthly father. Why? Because if he'd had an earthly father, he'd have got his bloodline from his father and he'd been born into depraved humanity. But he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb, virgin, was born, tempted in all points like you and me, yet without sin. He's acquainted with our grief. He completely understands us. He got mad. He felt pain. He died for you and me, the perfect human Savior. The only Savior. He's the only one. No one else. There aren't any other ways because he's the only human one that lived a sinless life and died and conquered death and rose again. The second part is the heavenly sacrifice, Christ. I've already alluded to that. Jesus had to be a lamb unblemished and spotless. 1 Peter 1.19, if Jesus had sinned, he would have died on the cross. He would have stayed dead. But God raised him from the dead because he lived a sinless life. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus. This means that Jesus Christ alone is the adequate Savior. Second, the third thing, notice the atonement for sin in verse 2, not chapter 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sin. Helosmos is the word. It means to put under, put under the blood. It was used on the day of atonement when the high priest would go in the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. But I, I want to tell you something that the word that John uses here and also in 1 John 4, 10, chapter 4, verse 10, was a, use, was a word used by the pagans. Pagans had a lot of gods. And they were always trying to appease their god. Trying to take away the anger from their god. And so you, you've heard all the stories, what they would do, because they thought the gods, little g, gods were angry. So the pagans would use this propitiation. We need to do something to get this god not mad at us anymore. John uses that word, and a lot of translators don't like it because it sounds so harsh about God. God is a loving God, and God wasn't just looking to destroy us, and Jesus stepped in and said, don't do it, don't do it. No, God's the one that set it all up. God is the one. In fact, if you'll look in chapter 4, verse 10, it says... In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, God appeased himself through Jesus. 
And if God were someone who was sitting up there trying to chunk everything at us and say, I'm going to get you for this, and Jesus steps in and said, no, I'll take it. You stay off of them. That's not, that's not it at all. And so they change a lot of the translations. Some use the word expiation. Some use other words. But propitiation is the word. I like what John Stott gave the definition of propitiation. He said, it's an appeasement of the wrath of God by the love of God through the gift of God. Amen. And all you and I can do is just accept what has been done. You and I did not achieve the atonement for our sin, the payment for our sin. We didn't. God did it all. But the best part of this is what he says. He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Notice the availability of salvation. See, the Gnostic said, you've got to have this secret knowledge. John said, it's for the whole world. It's for the whole world to know. Now, I want you to see something here. Because some people would say, well, if it's for the whole world, then the whole world is going to be saved. No, no. It is a provision. Salvation is a provision. But it doesn't mean it's been applied to the whole world. Why? Because you still must respond by faith and by trust. Just because it's provided doesn't mean it's been appropriated. doesn't mean it's been applied to you to the whole world. It's available for the whole world. Let's put it this way. Jesus made a saving deposit. But the only way to withdraw on that deposit is through Jesus Christ and faith in him. Back in the 1800s, there was an evangelist by the name of Charles Finney. Many of you may have heard that name in church history or in the history of Christianity. Charles Finney was preaching in a church, and after that church service, a man walked up to him and said, would you meet with me? And, and Charles Finney said, yeah, I'll be glad to meet with you. And the man left. The deacons ran up to him and said, do you know who that was? Did he, what did he want? He said he wanted to meet with you. You're not going to go meet with him, are you? You know that he's responsible for having people killed. You know he's one of the most notorious evil men in this city. You're not going to go meet with him, are you? He may kill you. And Charles Finney said, I gave him my word. I'm going to meet with him. So he met this man on a corner. The man walked him halfway up the block, up an alley, and through the back door of a building. He said, sit down there. And the man locked the door behind him. He then pulled a gun out of the drawer and laid it up on the desk. And he said to Finney, you don't know me or what I've done. He said, right now, you're behind a bar and also an illegal gambling room. Our devices have been fixed. They take the last dollar from every man that play them, and many of those men have committed suicide. Can God forgive that? Charles Finney said, all I can say is what the Bible says. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We said, well, that's not the whole story. I own the bar. 
Men come in and drink. Wives come in in rags and beg me not to sell them booze. I throw them out back into the streets and I sell husbands booze until they run out of money and then I kick them out. Can God forgive a man like that? Then he said, the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse a man from all sin. Well, you don't know the full story. This gun has killed several people who got in my way. I've hired men to kill others. God can forgive that. All I can say to you is that Bible, in the Bible it says, all sin. Across the street in a big house, I have a wife and a beautiful child to whom I've been wicked and cruel and haven't spoken a decent word to them in 16 years. And finally, Finney stood up and he grabbed the man by the shirt and he said, you listen to me. You've told me some of the most horrible stories I've ever heard. And if it were up to me, I dare say I would find no forgiveness. But all I can tell you is the Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's all I wanted to know. He opened the door and said, you're free to go. And Finney walked out. The next morning, the sun was coming up. That man was walking from his bar to his home. His wife was in the kitchen, in the kitchen cooking breakfast and went up st- he went upstairs. The mother told the child, go tell your daddy breakfast is ready. She ran halfway up and yelled, daddy, mama said breakfast is ready. He said, sweetheart, tell your mommy daddy doesn't want any breakfast this morning. She ran down and said, Mommy, Dad said he didn't want any breakfast, and he called me sweetheart. Yeah, you must have misunderstood. Go up and tell him again. She ran halfway up the stairs. Daddy, Mama said breakfast is ready, and he said, Come up here, honey. She went into her dad, and he picked her up and set her on his lap, began to tell her how much he loved her. Mother came up and stood in the door and saw him holding the daughter on the lap for the first time with tears coming down his cheek. Come over here, honey. I found something last night that is the greatest thing I've ever heard, and it is true. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses a man from all sin. That man closed the bar. He began to be a benefactor to that community, a man powerfully changed by the power of Jesus Christ. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. One last true story. Robert Robinson lived in London He ran with a gang of hoodlums living all kinds of debauchery and sin. When he was 17, he went to hear a famous evangelist, George Whitfield, to scoff at him and what he called the poor, deluded Methodist. But instead, he got saved. And at the age of 23, he was pastor of a large Baptist church in Cambridge, and he wrote the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Several years later, Robinson went through a time of severe depression because of some sin in his life. He was traveling when he struck up a conversation with a young Christian woman, and she realized that he was well-informed on spiritual matters, so she asked him what he thought of a hymn she had just been reading 
To his astonishment, he found it was the very hymn that he had written in his younger days. He tried to evade her question, but she kept pressing him. And finally, he began to weep and said, I'm the man who wrote that hymn many years ago. I'd do anything to experience again the joy I knew then. And the lady was surprised, but she assured him that the same streams of mercy mentioned in the song still flowed. Robinson had written in the third verse, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. And his own hymn was used to turn his wandering heart back to the Lord. You're either saved or you're not. If you're not, all your sins can be forgiven. All your sins can be wiped clean because of the blood of Jesus Christ that died for you. But you don't... It's not religion, folks. It's not joining a church. It's not even being baptized like you saw these today. That's an act of obedience, but being dunked under the water doesn't wash away your sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the sinless blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And if you're a child of God and you're not taking your sins seriously, something's wrong with you. You need to look inside and say, God, help me. And the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Maybe your heart's gotten so hard you don't listen anymore. But I want you to know, let me take you back to verse 9 of chapter 1. It says, if we confess our sins, plural, sins, He is faithful and just to forgive. All present tense verbs, he's continuously faithful. He's continuously just. He's continuously able to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's just a matter of renewing the fellowship with him and walking in his ways, walking day by day with the Lord. It's not a set of rules and regulations. Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? But if you are rebelling against what God wants you to do, you can't have peace in your heart. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray for those today who need Jesus as their Savior. Some of them, Lord, feel like that they have drifted so far and done so much evil that you could never forgive them. Maybe they're watching online. Maybe they're watching on television. I pray, Father, that you would show them that you will forgive them of all their sin by turning to you, asking you to forgive them, and placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I pray for Christians. Some of them are caught up in sin right now, living in sin. I don't know, Lord. You know their heart. I don't. But I pray that you would help people to take their sins seriously and to walk in your ways day by day. And and Lord, we bring it to you. We confess it to you right now. And we know that you're still faithful. You're still just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, there may be some who need a church 
This is the place you bring them here. If they need to be baptized like these who this morning were obedient, I pray they would. As a result of their salvation, then they profess publicly their commitment to you. And folks, while your heads are still bowed and your eyes are closed, would you quietly stand? Would you keep them bowed? And there are pastors here at the front to pray with you, to receive you. That tug at your heart is the Holy Spirit says, I'm talking to you. You need to do something right now. And if he's telling you to do something, this is your time. People aren't looking. They're not staring at you. We're not going to embarrass you. You come to the Lord. can be forgiven you can be saved from your sin he'll give you a new life and a new start I want you to sing that first verse I want you to sing it from your heart and you think about what you're singing there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from drawn from Emmanuel God is with us what Emmanuel means. And sinners plunge beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. Amen. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Isn't it wonderful to know you stand clean before God? Keep the fellowship sweet. The invitation's not over. These men will be here for a few moments. If you need to talk with one of them about any commitment of your life or just someone, you need somebody to pray with you, they will. You can put that commitment on your communication card and drop it in the box as you leave, and we will call you. Or you can text the word living hope, a phrase, living hope, no space, to 474747. Now you got it there. Give us the information, we'll call you. Listen, we don't have any hidden agenda. We're not after anything you have. We're out to get you to get to Jesus. <laughs> That's all we're after. And I want you to know him as you say. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.